The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, welcome to this Friday edition of Scorebox. These are your headlines. The last dance for lockdown growth. Shares in Netflix plunge in extended trade after the streaming giant adds over 10 million new subscribers in the second quarter, but does warn that growth will slow sharply to its weakest level in years. Russia rejects claims that a group linked to Moscow tried to steal COVID-19 vaccine research after the UK, US and Canada accuse a group known as Cozy Bear for a widespread attack. At a time where the world's come together, uh, we're all trying to find a vaccine that both our people and people around the world can benefit from. Uh, to have the Russian government engaged in that endeavour, I think is, uh, needs calling out and I think the world should know it. European leaders preparing to meet for their first in-person summit since the onset of the outbreak as hopes of approving the bloc's 750 billion euro recovery fund hang in the balance. We're going to speak to the Luxembourg Prime Minister, Xavier Bettel. Uh, that's coming up at 8.40 CET. And a dead end for Daimler. Cost-cutting acceleration forces the German carmaker to halt production of Mercedes sedans in the US and Mexico as it reveals a 1.7 billion euro operating loss for the second quarter. Okay, let's take a look at some of the numbers here hitting the wires on Ericsson. So they're reporting their second quarter figures, of course. Ericsson is the other side of the storm that we're seeing over Huawei at the moment. But yet the shares strangely muted, uh, as you can see from the last three months. They haven't really had any form of a breakout, have they? Uh, they are up 7.5% for the year, so that is, uh, I guess, to be expected in the least. Right, the margin. Gross margin improved to 37.6 from 36.6% a year ago. Uh, the sales figure also improved to 55.6 billion Swedish krona from 54.8 billion a year ago. Uh, elsewhere, the operating income better than expected at 3.9 billion versus 3.7 a year ago. Um, what else can I tell you? They say COVID-19 pandemic had a limited impact on operating income and cash flow. Second quarter net sales uh, in network sales, I beg your pardon, 39.8 billion versus 37.8 billion a year ago. Current visibility group financial targets for 2020 and 2022 are maintained. Does that sound modest to you? You'd kind of think that there'd be some, at least those targets, given everything we're seeing with uh, their key Chinese rival. Chinese 5G uh, contracts are expected to be profitable over the life cycle, but had a negative contribution uh, to gross margin in the second quarter. They say they strengthened their market position in mainland China, which is very interesting, as strategically important as the market is expected to be a driver of critical future requirements and provide us with important scale. Uh, adding that Chinese 5G contracts are expected to be profitable over the life cycle, but had a negative contribution to growth margin in the second quarter. Interesting that they're breaking out the Chinese 5G operations. Uh, yet when I think what people really want to know is, are they going to be picking up um, market share from Huawei going forward? It, it's, it's almost the key question, isn't it, at the moment as well? But as I mentioned in the shares, they have had a rally off their lows, a significant rally uh, off their 52-week low, which I believe was, yes, 12th of March. They were trading around about... Uh, 61 Swedish krona, but again, a modest performance. Again, if you look at where they were, 
and where they are. And if you strip out the fact that they are saying COVID-19 not really having a major impact on their company as well, um, I think it's, it's more about geopolitics, isn't it? We all know that as well. But look, we're going to be speaking to the CEO. Uh, it's exclusive, I believe. Uh, the Bore Ekholm is the CEO. Uh, he will join us at five minutes past eight CET. So he'll be speaking to Karen and myself. Right, let, let, let's move on and take a look at the US markets overnight and, and, a, and a modest set of moves. In fact, once again, a, a market move uh, that we saw the Nasdaq underperforming the uh, Dow uh, and indeed the S&P again to the downside down 0.7 of 1%. I've got a nice swathe of red behind me, just basically just saying uh, what the move was in session. But actually, week to date, it's very interesting. Uh, again, you know, I've been talking about the rotation, about how, perhaps how we don't need to just completely look at the Nasdaq the whole time. Nasdaq's down 1.4%. Week to date, Russell 2K up 3.2%, Dow up 2.5%, S&P up 1%. So at this moment, with a key session to come, we have an outperformance from most of the major indices in the States compared with the NASDAQ. Isn't that interesting? So uh, what do we have yesterday? We had retail sales. They were very strong, but of course, concerns about the figures going forward. Initial jobless claims, they were OK, but I think people want to see more declines in that figure. It was 1.3 million, which fell 10,000 week on week. Today, we've got housing starts. Now, housing starts is very interesting. OK, so look, I I'm going to tell you how it is. I had a dispute with the production team this morning. There are about 10 of them and there's one of me. I lost because I'm failing to tell them that I believe that there is something else going on in the market other than the obsession with shiny things. Shiny things are fangs. Shiny things are NASDAQ herded stocks. But they're millennials. What do I expect? They're fascinated, obsessed, one might say, by Amazon, by Apple, by Alphabet, by Netflix, by Facebook. Maybe that's right to be obsessed. Maybe this liquidity we're seeing that's rushing through uh, from all the professional investors, rushing through from the retail investors, obsession on Robinhood as well. We see unbelievable liquidity in Netflix, for instance. Netflix yesterday had triple its normal daily volume, at least, at least 24 million stocks traded in this one or shares in this one, when the, the average is around about 7, 7.2 as well. And I get it. We're going to spend a lot of time on Netflix as well in a moment. But CNBC and you, and I don't know who started this loop. I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg. We became obsessed by five, six stocks as well. Now, rightly so, these are exciting. They have enormous growth. I understand that. They are growth stocks. But will your life depend on these five stocks going forward? Is it the most important thing in your life? Maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe owning a home isn't. And the reason why I've brought up lumber is because, you know what? It's like tumbleweed when you start talking about lumber. They all start going onto their phones and people say, oh, yeah, whatever, you know. And, and do you know what? The liquidity in this is phenomenal. I am saying to you now as a viewer, do not touch this with a barge pole unless you really know what you're talking about or you need to hedge your future position because you own a sawmill or something or you have a wood in the middle of Canada or something because this one is beyond illiquid. According to Seeking Alpha, there's literally a like, oh, what was it? 3,332 contracts out there as of, uh, as of July the 10th. So tiny open interest, tiny. The average daily volume before people got excited, about 500 contracts. So you, you can't touch this one. But lumber is one of the greatest metaphors for the US economy you can find. Trust me, we've had such amazing oscillation on this one uh, in 2008 when it plummeted, then it rallied aggressively up to 659 bucks. And what you measure these ones in uh, is lumber uh, per 1,000 uh, board feet, okay? Per 1,001 board feet. We've all got these idiosyncrasies. But you can't touch this because it's illiquid. But look at the moves we've seen. 55% higher. 
over the three-month period. Our low was 250 bucks. We have gone through the roof on this one. Why? Because of house building, because of the actual bricks and mortar, not only of your life, but of the American economy. So over here, this is what we talk about a lot. The shiny fang stocks, because their liquidity is phenomenal. Their growth is potentially amazing. But isn't it this stuff we need to spend more time on as well? I just want to leave you with that to think about. Anyway, back to the shiny stuff. And Netflix shares plunged in extended trade after the streaming giant posted its biggest earnings miss in 16 years. The company added 10 million global paid subscribers in the second quarter as lockdowns kept people at home, but forecast third quarter additions of less than half of analyst expectations. Well, a man who probably doesn't really care about lumber, but really does care uh, about the technology stocks is uh, George Olstein, who is the sector specialist over at Schroeder's and joins us now. Uh, very open, easy question to start off with, George. And I won't ask you about house building. Uh, what do you think of the Netflix numbers? Oh, good morning. Um, so, yeah, the stock's down 9%, and the guide is a bit weak versus expectations. But if we actually step back and look at the numbers themselves this quarter, they're phenomenal. 10 million net ads, ARPU up 5% in constant currency, 770 bips of operating margins, and positive free cash flow for the first time in, in, in forever. Um, so if we, if we actually take stock of this situation, the numbers are, are absolutely phenomenal. Um, why will Netflix have an advantage going forward over peers such as, dare I say it, Comcast have released uh, Peacock as well, which is an NBC offering. Disney Plus as well is out there. Amazon Prime is out there. Sky in the United Kingdom have an offering as well. There are lots of other production houses out there who are trying to go into the same space. Does Netflix deserve a premium? Does it actually have a premium still? In my mind, it absolutely does. And it comes down to the compounding nature of their library. So effectively, if we think back about five, six years ago, before Netflix actually started making its own content in, in, in a significant way, it was renting content on an annual basis. And if it increased its content spend by 500 million or a billion in a year, um, all consumers would see next year is that increase of, of 1 billion because they have to spend the, the previous 10 to uh, to rent the same content again. But if we go now from 10 to 15, you're getting an incremental 15 of value in terms of 15 billion content spent because it's their, they're, they're keeping it. It's going into their library, they're retaining it, and therefore, as a consumer, I'm getting in, in, in 25 million of spend, which is just phenomenal for, for what you're paying. You're paying $10, $13, and you're getting 25 billion of content spent every year. Um, no one else comes close to that. And that compounds over time. Next year, they spend another 15, another 15, another 15. So as a consumer, your value proposition is increasing all the time. I'm very aware uh, that luxury goods sector used to be called fashion uh, and that we are ultimately talking here about content. I mean, the delivery platforms on a lot of these uh, amazing technologies are incredibly similar when you really break it down as well. And my remote control on my TV at home, I can find all of them in a very similar fashion as well. So I think then it becomes about content. It comes about price as well. We're being asked to pay 67 times forward for a stock which provides very good content at the moment. And, and, and I hear what you're saying. I, to be honest, I don't really watch any TV at the moment apart from CNBC and maybe a little bit of sport. But the fact of the matter is a lot of other people do as well. You're never going to get better customer acquisition cost declines than we've just had. I, I believe that 
full-heartedly because everybody was stuck at home. They had to, of course, uh, find something to do with themselves. So then they turned to TV as well. So you've got high multiple and the lowest customer acquisition cost we've ever had. Plus, they're flagging up that the subscriber growth will not be as great again. Is, is it really worth paying this kind of level for a stock? I, I continue to believe absolutely is the case. Uh, I mean, if we think about the sub-growth ahead of them, um, so today we have about a billion broadband users across the world outside of China. That genuinely is their addressable market. Um, so we think that they have 193 million subs today, then we're just scratching the surface of their potential market. And then is that the pricing power that you potentially just talked about? I mean, I think the best example is the U.S. I mean, you have 75% of households paying $64 a month for cable TV. Netflix charges $13. And that shows you the, 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 the pricing runway for growth that they have. And once you drop that pricing through, the operating leverage in this model will be phenomenal. And I think that's one of the key things to pick out from these results as well is that since Q119, we've actually seen a leveling off in content spend on a per-sub basis. Yes, we continue to see content spend increase, but on a, on a unit economic basis, you're seeing much better profitability flow through the company. And as that pricing comes, that operating leverage ramps up significantly. And free cash flow balloons out, and this stock is not trading on obscene multiples in a couple of years' time as a result of that. But, but George, just again, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just giving you the other side of it so we can have a nice chat on this one as well. But 13 bucks a month for one provider, and my understanding is, dare I say it, looking at the television habits of my own family as well, is they don't just have one provider. So very quickly, your $64 for your cable subscription, which historically covered a whole host of providers. Now, obviously, it, it's less so. Your 13 bucks a month, by comparison, from Netflix turns into uh, 26 bucks or, or 39 bucks or, or, or very easily, I don't know, uh, 52 bucks. So you, you, you do tend to have four or five, plus you have your Spotify or your Deezer or what have you, or your Apple Music, and all of a sudden you're playing, paying $100 per month as well. So is it slightly disingenuous Ingenuous of us to say there's only going to be uh, one provider and that'll be Netflix a a as the key? Uh, it's a great question. Um, and it depends on how consumers are going to use the services. Um, so, yes, we, we have competition like Disney. Um, but Disney is, is playing effectively what looks like a different game to the likes of, of Netflix. Netflix is going for a mass content. So, everything for everyone. Con uh, Disney is going for very high quality niche content. That appeals to, yes, okay, we're, we're 60 million subs now for, for Disney Plus, um, but we're not going to get the same reach as we are for Netflix. So think of Netflix as your base consumption, um, like drinking a can of Coca Cola, um, whereas the like sort of Disney is, is your red wine. It's, it's uh, for an occasion, it's expensive, um, but it's not competing necessarily with the same budget that you're paying for your, for your can of Coke. Um, so you always think about Netflix as the baseline. Um, and anything that's incremental on top will be added and churned out on, on, a, on a rolling quarterly or monthly basis. I like your metaphor. I, I have to say, for disclosure, I don't drink any fizzy drinks anymore, but I do drink the occasional glass of red wine. For your disclosure, so I just need to ask, do you own Netflix personally, sir? Uh, I don't own Netflix personally, no. Okay. Right, brilliant. Thank you. And I should ask, Karen, does any member of your family own Netflix as well, sir? No. Okay, no, excellent. No. I just had to do those things. George, really nice conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much indeed for kicking off our coverage today. Uh, George Olstein, who is a sector specialist over at Schroeder's. Right, uh, for more on Netflix's uh, push to restart production amid the outbreak, head to cnbc.com.
U.S. weekly jobless claims, uh, as I mentioned at the wall, have risen by more than 1 million again for the 17th straight week. Initial claims totaled 1.3 million for the week, ending July 11th, coming in slightly above expectations. Total claims have risen by over 50 million since the start of the outbreak in late March. Uh, the U.S. has reached a new, uh, some would say, grim milestone in the number of new coronavirus cases. More than 77,000 cases were recorded in one day, according to the latest tally by Reuters. Nearly 1,000 lives were lost in just 24 hours, as Florida, California and Texas all reported their largest one-day jumps. This comes as Colorado became the latest state to issue a statewide mask order amid the surge in new infections. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has criticized the president, Mr. Trump, and his handling of the pandemic. The social media platform CEO made the comments during a live stream chat with Dr. Anthony Fauci, who says the U.S. needs to, quote, regroup amid the surge in new cases. I was certainly sympathetic early on when, when it was clear that uh, there would be some outbreaks, no matter uh, how well we handled this. But, you know, now that we're here in July, um, I, I just think that it was avoidable, and, and it's really disappointing um, that you know, we still don't have adequate testing. What I think we need to do, and my colleagues agree, is that we really got to almost regroup, call a timeout, not necessarily lock down again, but say, we've got to do this in a more measured way. We've got to get our arms around this, and we've got to get this controlled. Target, CVS and Walgreens will soon require all shoppers to wear masks or face coverings at their stores, becoming the latest retailers to institute the mandate. The requirement will take effect at all CVS and Walgreens outlets starting on July 20th, whilst Target will begin enforcing the policy on August 1st. This follows similar moves by other retail giants such as Walmart, Starbucks, Apple, Verizon, AT&T and Costco. Well, coming up on the show, Russian hackers are accused of attempted vaccine data theft. More on this after the break. Plus, uh, if you want more on the top market moving stories, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast found on all major podcast providers. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Okay, it's been a very interesting week, I think, on a lot of sector rotation, on our view of the economic decline versus what has actually been really good data out of the States this week. I think we can fairly unambiguously say the data's been good. The banking sector's been stunningly solid, apart from one or two notable exceptions like Wells as well. Uh, but by and large, it's been a very interesting start to the second quarter earnings season. But the markets are very concerned about one thing mostly, and that is COVID-19, and rightly so. This is where we're trading at the moment. Hang Seng, uh, five-tenths of 1% higher. Not a lot of move on the Shanghai Composite, which, uh, which had a very late big decline to the downside. That and the CSI 300. Again, concerns about re-emerging cases, I'm told, was the catalyst there. And a flat market on the ASX 200 trading at 6,006. Only calls for Europe. Well, again... 
I thought it was a much calmer session in Europe yesterday. You always sit there looking in the afternoon, waiting for the big moves, and, and it didn't happen. It was a drift lower, certainly on the FTSE, that's for sure. Um, so we are called to open 62-63 on the FTSE. Zetradax up 15 points. Whether it remains a calm session, of course, that is anyone's guess at this early stage. So Russian hackers have attempted to steal coronavirus vaccine research from Western organisations. Now, this is according to British, American and Canadian security officials. Uh, Juliana, uh, I note the Russians have been robust in saying this is not the case. So what do we know about this that takes us beyond, yes, you have stolen this and it's been state sponsored to the Russians saying, no, we haven't? So a little bit of detail for you. Uh, Security services in the U.S., U.K., and Canada have specifically said that they believe the cyber espionage group APT29, also known as Cozy Bear, used a form of malware to steal information and vaccine research and development from uh, various organizations. They warned the attacks are likely to continue. And to give you a little bit of context about this group, uh, Cozy Bear had previously been linked to the hacking and theft of emails the Democratic National Convention back in 2016 and the U.S. election. Now, the group of security officials didn't say which organizations had been targeted, nor did they confirm whether or not any information had actually been stolen, any intellectual property had been successfully stolen. But it did assure that vaccine research hasn't been hindered by these alleged attacks. Uh, Russia, as you said, has robustly denied these accusations. The U.K. Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab made no bones about it, very clear in his uh, condemnation of the attacks, calling them appalling. Take a listen to what he had to say. We know that the Russian intelligence agencies have been targeting in terms of cyber attacks uh, against efforts uh, across those three countries and here in the UK, our attempt to find a vaccine through research and development for coronavirus. And I think that's pretty appalling, I have to say. At a time where the world's coming together, uh, we're all trying to find a vaccine that both our people and people around the world can benefit from. Uh, To have the Russian government engaged in that endeavour, I think is uh, needs calling out and I think the world should know it. Now, in addition to Dominic Robb weighing in, we've also heard from Adam Schiff, who is the head of the U.S. House Intelligence Committee. He said it was obvious why President Putin would resort to theft to secure an advantage in the global search for a vaccine. He said the stakes are high for President Putin. International prestige, economic benefit and domestic politics would all potentially drive Russia to these tactics. Uh, Every country around the world, as we've been discussing for many weeks, is very keen to find a vaccine. Russia in particular has been, uh, had a lot of difficulty in controlling the outbreak in that country. And in terms of where Russia is on finding a vaccine, Russia has said that a COVID-19 vaccine is in development in Moscow and will begin a phase three trial next month. So this is the most advanced of the human trials. The early clinical trials of the vaccine haven't been peer reviewed, so we don't know a huge amount of detail about the results of the early stages of the vaccine that they are uh, producing. And Kirill Dmitriev, who we've spoken to many times, head of the Russian Direct Investment Fund, suggested that Moscow planned to produce more than 200 million doses of the vaccine by the end of the year. And uh, they will look to give the Russian population the vaccine by early 2021. So that's where Russia stands in terms of their vaccine development. Steve.
I, I believe, and I, I'm trying to find the copy where I found it, Mr. Dmitriev is also denying that the state would be involved in this as well. I, I mean, do we? how do we move beyond? I don't understand how we move forward on this story with the European, well, the US, UK and Canadian security forces saying, you have tried to hack us, we believe it is state-sponsored, uh, and a state organisation or the, the, the state kind of... Um, Sovereign Wealth Fund of Russia saying, we didn't, you're just jealous because we're moving ahead commercially as well. I, I know this is an amazing story, and, it, and I saw it yesterday, and I thought, wow, and I saw the statement that our team had sent through, but I don't know what happens next in this story. I mean, are there, are there, are there sanctions? We think it's going to become a major political incident, or is it just literally, that's what it is, and now we move on? It's hard to say, Steve, at this point. I mean, think the uh, priority for countries around the world is just to ensure that vaccine development and research can continue uh, unabated. And at this point, the security officials in the West are keen to say that the vaccine efforts that are underway in the U.S., Canada and the U.K. haven't been hindered by these alleged attacks, uh, although they wouldn't confirm whether in any intellectual property had been stolen. And we uh, talk about the the race for a vaccine, but you talk to medical experts and they're keen to say it's not a race. Whoever develops the vaccine first, it, it, sh it shouldn't matter. It's all about finding multiple vaccines that should work. So from a medical perspective, um, it's not necessarily uh, too concerning, but the bigger ramifications, to your point, are likely on the geopolitical front. But it's hard to say from here where we go. Yeah, and I guess um, just looking at this, if there's going to be no commercial advantage because many of the manufacturers are going to give it away for nothing or do it at cost as well, then you do wonder, it just adds another extra nuance to this, is there a commercial advantage if the Russians were found guilty of stealing as well? Anyway, many questions. I'm not sure we're going to get many answers. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.